Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the WCBC Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name is Alan. I'm Josh. And we are here, and we are continuing spiritual gifts. We're hoping you guys are enjoying this. Um, as we talked about last week, it's just one of those passages of scriptures that can really benefit and edify all the body of Christ. If we can learn and take advantage of what you know we've been gifted by God with. Um, but this week, it's not just the three of us. We do have a returning guest. We have Pastor Jason with us. How you doing today? Good. Glad to be here. He is. Uh, we had service this morning, and so he's had a busy. He has a full plate today, but we are glad that he has come to join us. Not only has he come to join us, but he's brought some notes, and so we're looking forward to hearing what he has for us today. Um, So the first thing, I mean, we're going to start with today. So our gift, I think we even mentioned it last week, was we wanted to go to our next gift, kind of on our list of spiritual gifts, which is tongues. Last week we covered the gift of the apostle, and we talked about how that was for a specific group of 13 men. And uh, when they died out, really the gift of the apostle died out because there were certain qualifications you had to have and had to meet in order to be an apostle, which was one, you had to be a, a personal eyewitness of Jesus Christ himself, and second, you had to be charged by Jesus Christ himself. And with Jesus ascending to heaven to be at the right hand of God, um, you know, he's not physically here to charge us. Now, he does call us to pastor. He calls us to teach. He calls us to evangelize. But the apostleship was a special gift that was given to these men. And these men would start the church. They would start the early church and they would preach the gospel. Um, and so the second gift on our list is tongues, which, as Alan said, a lot of the text we'll probably read would be out of 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 12, um, it says, over in verse 28, and it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then 1 Corinthians 12.10 also says, um, let me look at it real quick, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. And so we, we look at this form where it says various kinds of tongues. Now, uh, we're I mean we're really just going to let Pastor Jason just kind of take off here in a second, but I do kind of want to establish, if you look at your Greek um, reference number, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's G1100, mm-hmm. and it references you, and you can read the definition it talks about by implication a known language um, and we're going to talk about how it is a known language when we look at the context of scripture but I'm sure today too we're going to talk about how people have tried to make it unknown so uh, Pastor Jason start us off go ahead yeah so um, well another thing I guess we start out is that the word unknown was not in the original uh, text so your NASB your ESV are word translations so uh, it's not in those. Yeah, they it's, just say tongue. Right, it's only in the King James. So there would be one of the places you'd ask yourself why. And, and it's italicized, which means it was added right, in. it was added. So I thought it'd be best if we sort of go back through the history of this. And uh, we know God's not the author of confusion. And we also know that this could bring division amongst the denominations. So I think it's good that we look in the Bible. And uh, I've sort of got a, like a timeline that I'd like to go through. First place you can look at is in Genesis chapter number 10 and chapter number 11. Um, when you start talking about the generations, like verse 1 of that says, you know, the generations of the sons of Noah. And then as you go down uh, in verse uh, 5 of that, I believe it says, but these were the isles of the Gentiles 
divided into their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. So um, when you look that up, it's uh, in a literal sense or figurative, it's either babbler, evil speaker, wedge, or in reference of a language. So in this part it is. It's talking about when they were divided out into their lands. I was going to just Go not even to interrupt you, but... Um, he is. He's reading from his King James version. I do have the ESV, and even the ESV says each with his own language, so it doesn't right. even say tongue. So go ahead. Right, right. So you'll see that as we look through here, like language is going to be our next word. If you go to Genesis 11, then this is, uh, of course, familiar scripture where you get to where you have the Tower of Babel, and verses six through nine. Uh, for time's sake, I won't read them, but basically everybody was of one language. Um, they they were basically like a one world power one speech and when you look that up you take the word language has a hebrew reference 8193 and it says through the idea of termination so what this is talking about when god is going to to send them out with different languages he is terminating one speech one language and they're being divided out we'll see this later when we get in acts chapter number two when the cloven part takes place how it's cloven and and this has the same uh, implication. Or you have uh, the lip, uh, by implication, language, by analogy, speech. So from Genesis 10 and 5, we see that uh, everyone after his own tongue, uh, each each group of people had a language, a speech. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, God went down and he confused them. When you read where it says, let us go down and therefore confound the language, uh, 1101, when you look confound up, it's like one of your key words. It means to mix. Or you have the analogy of anointing to smear like oil to change their speech to a different language. So it, it just references back and forth again, just like in Acts chapter number 2. Whether you're studying in the Old Testament or whether you get over in the New, you're going to see that it, it, it's the same thing. It's the yeah. same way. It's yeah. the same. You won't find differences between the two. Yeah. It's a continual line. Um, now, when you jump, like, for example, out of the Old Testament, now we start getting over in, in 1 Corinthians. And this is what Paul told the first uh, the Corinthians there, it, starting off in chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. And I do want to read these. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise, ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall um, speak into the air. Now listen to this. There are... It may be so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Now that means meaning. That, that's key text. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. So when you look at this, now you've got voices. Uh, 54, 56, and here's what it means. Dis- discloses a tone or articulate by saying or language, a noise, a sound, a voice. So he's saying all voices have a distinct sound. They have a distinct um, uh, language. Is without signification means uh, not mute or figuratively unmeaning without signifying. So again, what Paul is telling them, if you were to speak to someone, 
and they don't understand. It's like a barbarian language that they wouldn't even grab hold of, vice versa, from them or from you. So I think here he's just trying to say it's, uh, it's not beneficial whenever that you have things like this taking place uh, in, in a worship setting. If you go from here, from what Paul had said, then you sort of go back and you have to look at Acts chapter number 2. This is where a lot of places they, they build a doctrine or yep. uh, a certain stance where they're going to stand uh, in their um, theology. But when you read Acts 2, 1 through 4, and everybody's familiar with that text, there, there are key words in here, and one hunter's already mentioned, which is tongues, G1100. But the cloven part means distribution, divide or part. So, you know, a lot of people, uh, they sort of take this end to where they still look for this great big wind or this great big uh, movement to happen inside. Some, yeah, some fire. Some some mystical type thing. Yeah. And, and that's not what happened and took place here. But the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll see as, as he gifts, and of course the Bible says severally as he will, yeah. he equips people with the gift of tongues, but not everyone has the same gift. We, we'll see in a little bit the differences in a lot of these uh, uh, gifts the Holy Spirit gives out. So tongues, and Hunter made, um, Hunter made mention of this, if you were to look that up, G1100, it means of uncertain affinity. In other words, is that uh, at, at Pentecost, all the languages are they're mentioned. They're written down what they are. And those were Galileans that were speaking that other language. They shouldn't have known that language. And the people that was there uh, knew those languages, and they were different affinity, different numbers of languages that were, me that were mentioned in the Bible. But the Galileans, it was uncertain. It was unknown to them because they had never spoke that language. The gift of tongues is that they would speak the gospel in that language so the people that were identified in that text could understand the gospel message to spread the good news. Um, but also it says, by implication, a language one naturally unacquired. So I believe I've heard you guys make mention if, if you were to go somewhere and you had an audience that were Japanese and you never spoke it, and if you had the gift to speak in Japanese, um, then that would be uh, an example of the gift of tongues. But uh, we also know that when we look at the gift of tongues is that this was not the most important gift. Matter of fact, there's a lot of division over it. They were uh, making others lesser than themselves. Yeah. And to where it is today, it's to where it's, it has to be, you have to speak in a tongue to prove salvation. So let me, let me kind of add something and propose, a, I guess, a thought for conversation. I don't mean to interrupt your, where you're going through, but... Um, so when we look at the the gift of tongues, it is a gift given by God for a specific task. So it brings me to this point of question, and he's he's talking about this. Is it a gift that you can just practice when you want, or is it something that God has to give at the specific time for a spe specific task? I say that because we live in a day and age where you can go to supernatural schools of divinity and you yourself can practice tongues whenever you want. They'll teach you how to do it. But from what you just said, and what you just said came from Scripture, specifically Acts 2, they weren't practicing. Right. It was just God gave them that specific gift. So would you say that like for someone to say, well, I have the gift of tongues and I practice it, that's not what we're reading. It's not that you give it, you get it and you just have it forever. It's that God sees at an appointed time right. 
for an appointed moment that you're going to speak in another language. For, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and that's where you don't see it all throughout the rest of the text. It was sort of like even when Jesus said, so you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, and then you see where a lot of people don't do it exactly in that order. Yeah. So it's it's another one of those examples. Also, those were Jews. Mm. You have to recognize that Acts chapter number two and the message of Christ was to the Jewish people. Yeah. And and all those names and lists are mentioned. As you keep moving forward, now we're going to move to the Gentiles, and we're going to see the gift of tongues. Um, the Gentiles are going to speak in tongues, and the Gentiles are going to be doing it. Acts chapter ten is uh, where you are. I just wrote down several verses, 34 through 48. And uh, when you look here, of course, this is the vision of Cornelius, and you have the vision of Peter. And whenever you get down to the part, and it's near the end of the chapter, you're going to see here that God was dealing with Peter uh, about food, right? And about the, the vision and the dream that he had there, how that what God cleanses don't call uncommon or unclean. We're looking also, when we look at the middle wall partition being broke down, doesn't matter now, Jew or Greek, bond or free, because all are going to be made in one Christ. This is in that transition where Gentiles are going to be shown to the Jews that they can be saved the same way. And what you see here is that Peter says, Peter opened his mouth and said, in verse 34, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, after the baptism of John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And he says, And we are his witnesses of all things, what he did both in the land of Jews, Jerusalem, who they slew and hung on a tree. Now this is the message that he's sharing with them. Him God raised up the third day, showed him openly, now to all people, but unto witness chosen before, or God even to us who did eat and drink of him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, here it is, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sin. These next verses are key because this is where... you're. You're going to see where at first they heard the preaching, right? While Peter yet spake the words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Now He didn't even give an invitation. All right. So this is where, and I want to try to keep this in the way that it's written because a lot of people take these words literal right here and they don't search out the meaning of them. Um, the Holy Ghost fell on them and they of circumcision which believe were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? So when you read down through here, especially the word fail means filled. So they heard the preaching and the Holy Ghost was given to them the same way that it was given to the Jews. As it was in Acts chapter number 2, is that when they, when they were given the Holy Ghost, the gift of tongues were given to them. And here you see that the problem of the church moving forward is that the Jews are going to have a hard time receiving Gentiles into yeah, their fellowship. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that's important uh, that God chose this is to keep the Jews from making this an elitist top exclusive group. And if it, this hadn't happened, you know, we might not have been included today. There may have been this uh, us and no more because it's for Jews only. Yeah. But this is confirmation. Yes. 
that they also were worthy of the salvation of Jesus Christ. What's key, this was the first set of Jews that received the gift. This was the first set of Gentiles that received the gift. Correct. Confirmation. Correct. Right? So, and then from that point, you see God's not a respecter. There's going to be a body with many members, right? Yep. So, so there's one message for all of mankind. is the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. It's all about the message, not about the gift. People have made it about the gift and not about the message. For way too long. And people think that uh, for some way, and, uh, Hunter was talking about you know the, uh, the school that teaches and how they practice. and th- That's no different than sports. When you, when you, when you want to be a good at a, a baseball, you practice. Uh, you want to be good at football, you go to practice. But when it comes to serving God and the gifts that he's gifted you with, you need to understand, it's not about me earning God's favor. It's not about me doing something good to impress God. It's not about me performing to earn God's love and favor. It's about me honoring God and me in the background. And I'm, 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 in, the, I'm, in, the, I'm in the background honoring God. And he gets all the recognition for it. And the, the gift is given to us for that purpose, not to uplift Alan, right. not to give me a, 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 a name or put me on a pedestal, but it's to uplift Jesus Christ. The the, bat, the 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 confusing thing can be also too is like with the charismatic movement if um, one comes to belief in Christ and they're surrounded by people that view it more so than the message view that the act the, the the gift it can cause a lot of confusion a lot of doubts especially to a new believer because they're looking around their surroundings mm-hmm. and there is those out there that are 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 making into proclamation with that you cannot be saved unless if you have this gift so therefore if you don't have it naturally well you know and so you're you know and then this here comes somebody telling you well i can teach you yeah it's then it's a top it's well, a top work you they're, don't have faith you have yes, <laughs> yes they're robbing i mean they're initially though they're robbing god from his glory because by them trying to make it into everyone can do it they rob the fact that god gives it to people by his power and by his will for certain circumstances for certain places of time people's looking for evidences and some are saying you have to be baptized into this church some are saying you have to speak in tongues everybody's putting their own conditions in certain places of Scripture that God never put on anyone They're making it for with, salvation. It, I, and I think you said something in your sermon this morning, probably about something totally different. But it, it's the fact that people want to make the gospel how they want the gospel to be. They're not willing to just stand in front of truth and just surrender to it. They want the, well, it is that and, but, you know, they want to add to it because it's almost like, We've talked about this when the Jews came to Jesus and they said, show us a sign. And he's like, no. He's like, the only sign you're going to get is just as Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days, so will the Son of Man. And we talked about that probably the biggest reason Jesus said no is because their version of Jesus performing a sign was how they wanted Jesus to be. But what do we know? Jesus won't conform to what we want. We have to conform to what he wants. And so I think by people trying to make it where everybody does this and do this, that I mean, we've hit it on the head. They're robbing God of what He initially does, and they're putting the glory on themselves instead of God. So. Yeah, when you when you move on, like in twelfth chapter of Corinthians, you can see when He talks about spiritual gifts, He says, "I don't want you to be ignorant, not knowing." He said, "You know that where 
that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. So he says, so I want you to look here and look at the, the differences. And, and I've got some Greek meanings and stuff I want you to listen to because when he talks about the diversities, he's going to talk about now the work of the Holy Spirit, how that he works in people and the differences and how that he works in people. Uh, one, one of the reference texts that I loved when I was looking through this talks about, uh, you, you run over there where he talks about uh, where the wind blows, where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof and can't John tell 3. whether it come or whether it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. That reference text means the, the Holy Spirit is going to give people severally as He will, well, not that, how you will, not right. how you teach, right. not how you put on. That's what it says in verse 11 of chapter 12. He says, All these are empowered by one and the same right. Spirit who apportions to each one right. individually as He wills. Right. So you, you see here, like for example, verse 4, it talks about there are uh, differences in gifts. So 5486 is your reference to gifts, and, and it says specifically a spiritual endowment or a religious qualification, whether it's an office or it's a spiritual endowment, but the same spirit. Verse 5, differences in ministries. That's offices in the church, ministered by different persons. And, and listen to the list. You have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, deacons. These were established... In the setting up of churches, the apostles were the first that were eyewitnesses of the Lord, right? Then as you just keep going through, there are differences in activities. Verse 6, some are ordinary in some and extraordinary in others as referenced here. So some gifts may seem a little greater or better than others, but to God they're not. It's to all with profit, yeah. all profit from it. We divide it out and say, you know, that's what we've brought. We've brought this separation in spiritual gifts that God never designed it to be the way. And the Corinthians were doing it too. It's given to every man to profit, verse 7. Now, when you look at the examples, you have the word of wisdom, of knowledge, but by the same Spirit. To another faith, you have the gifts of healing. And your reference here on gifts of healing, this is good, Matthew 10 and 1, because the gifts of healing, the reference is the 12 disciples. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease by the same Spirit. So that's specifically relating to the 12 disciples. Yeah, and I mean, even like, well, I mean, Judas betrays Christ. Right. Matthias comes in and then Paul comes in. But, you know, if you have the 12 apostles, 12, you know, disciples, minus Judas plus Matthias, and then Paul receives the same charge because I believe when you get to the end of Acts 15, Peter and Paul do the right hand shake of fellowship, and Peter goes to keep preaching the gospel among the Jews, and Paul goes to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. So even with the right hand of fellowship, that they're acknowledging that Paul is one of the right. ones that has those powers right. or those gifts. So he, he said he was seen of me also. Yes. Uh, or as even he said, I didn't learn these from the apostles, but I learned this from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. So it was a that that chosen vessel that direct uh, was given to Paul. So here's some more working of miracles, prophesying, discerning the spirits. Now here's another one of these places: diverse kinds of tongues. Your reference in diverse kinds of tongues runs you right back to Acts two four through eleven. You see that? So it keeps it all in context that the gift of tongues were those languages unknown to the speakers because the gifts come upon them, and the listeners understood the language. Yeah. So that that's your reference. Well, and, man, 
even like when you get into John 16, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said, he won't come on his own. He'll come on my behalf. He'll come in my name. So even like when we get into that Acts chapter 2, like you just mentioned, like when they unknowingly, in a sense, the Holy Spirit gifts them in that moment to speak a tongue about the gospel of Christ, the Holy Spirit is using them as a vessel to speak on behalf of the gospel. To But in this day and age, people, when they speak tongues, has nothing to do with the gospel. It has something to do with a prophecy. This is going to happen over here. You know, Sally's going to trip. You know, Jesus is coming back here. Uh, you know, someone, we're going to raise this person from the dead. Or, you know, we talked about one guy last week, uh, Jesse Duplantis. I mean, he said, God, the Lord came to me in my living room and asked me for advice. So when you even compare to these people that are saying, you know, oh, someone spoke in tongues, and they're like, what'd they say? And then someone says something. But here's the thing. If it's not in the name of Jesus, if it's not in the name of the gospel, and it's about something irrelevant or something random or something this, I'd be a little nervous what spirit that came from. Because Josh has shared a story before about a guy who started speaking tongues, and then someone of that native tongue come out and was like, no. He's not sharing the gospel at all. He's actually cursing God, and he was showing the people that this was not of the whole. So it's one of those things that when you mention the known languages and the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit does this, we have to remember like it's not about the Holy Spirit. It's about Christ because that's what Jesus said in 16 of John. He said he's coming in my name. He's coming on my behalf. He's not coming to do anything of himself. He's coming for me. Christ said it's an advantage. I go away that he would come. And so when we look at this, I think... And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you guys don't agree. I think a lot of people put more emphasis on the Holy Spirit and what it does and this experience and this emotion and this feeling more than they put on the gospel of Christ. Anywhere the Holy Spirit is evident, it's in context. That is true. So, Amen. So, so anywhere you look. So this is where that we would, um, for example, some of the things that were mentioned here today. There, there's a word. And, and I like looking up the history of things to see when did this begin, how did it get started, vice versa. Did it Was it in the original or did it happen later? And, and this is where you get your answers because if you were to find out that maybe you were practicing something that was non-biblical and as it said, try the spirits and see whether they be of God, would you also want to know where it began? Because if, the, if a word unknown was added, and, and it's in, I went and looked at my King James 1611, and the word unknown was there as well. But if it's not in the NASB or the ESV, which is a word translation, would you not want to know why? Italicized. So the word tongues, and again, is G1100. Glossa is your Greek word. Then you have these ecstatic tongues. You know, where do they come from? Where, where, does this, where does this derive from? And that's where you get the words ecstasy and glossolalia. And I may be blowing that. But they, these were added words because if you look the history of this, um, they weren't in Greek dictionaries before 1879. Mm. So if they're not in the Greek dictionaries, and here's some you can look. I mean, these are way before 1879. Uh, they, they weren't in the Latin dictionaries. They weren't in the Syriac, di- Syriac dictionaries. So if these words were not in the Greek dictionaries, but they are now, wouldn't you want to know why they were added? And who added them? So in the mid-1800s, and, and I may butcher some of these words, but the Bing slash Grimm's Wilkes Claris Nove Testament, or it's known as the Thayer's Greek Lexicon, uh, 
it leaned towards it being ecstatic. So in other words, they said the noun was in a transitory stage of redefinition. So when men sit down and they say, you know what, this is one of those words that needs to be redefined, you know the end result of this. And, and then from there on out, others eventually followed suit. So I was tracing when this first was introduced, and I was looking through the Greek dictionaries after. And what's funny is some of the, the, the dictionaries, they wouldn't, they wouldn't use it for a while, but then all of a sudden they slowly started introducing it. After a little bit longer went by, then they started accepting it. Then they added it, and to now this is where, where we are today. Uh, Glossolalia is used as ecstatic utterances of sounds in a state of ecstasy, whereas the word, and I don't know if the XE is silent, xenoglossia, uh, and it's the biblical gift of tongues, and I'll spell that X E N O G L O S S I A. So glossolalia <laughs> is where they say oh, it's ecstatic utterances, but the word exoglossia or xenoglossia is to speak fluent a language uh, the speaker has never learned. That is in biblical context of yeah. Acts chapter number 2. So that's where the confusion of those two words between a lot of people, that's where they believe one way or the other. So Paul stated, and it was already said, the gift of tongues was a sign for people that didn't believe. So why would there be some kind of ecstatic utterance, right? That supposedly they would have to figure out themselves when the message is clear about Christ in a language people understand. Um, for example, the word unknown, uh, it's, it's not in the original. You can study that for yourself. Uh, it, this dates back to the early days of the Reformation. And let me, let me give you some articles here, and, and I recommend you go study these. Um, there's an article from Charles A. Sullivan called The Unknown Tongues in the English Bible. And, and if you read the history as to where and why the word unknown was added and it wasn't in the original, you, you'll find it in that article. Another one, you can study Frederick Bleak and F.C. Barr in the 1830s. Uh, F.W. Farrar, who wrote The Life and Work of St. Paul. This is where Glossolalia first entered into the English vocabulary. So, so to me... This would be something that I would say that if, if you're practicing something that's out of context, wouldn't you want to know where it started and who started it? And if it wasn't in the original, then why are we doing it? Do you know what I'm saying? I understand completely. So basically, I'm going to ask a question you can clarify for me. Basically, somebody created a word. Yes. They made up a word. Yes. Put it in there so that the Scripture would read the way they want it to. Well, they took two words and they put it together. Because, again, they said that basically this was a word that need, glossa needed to be redefined is what they're right. saying. It, so they take two different words and make it a word, and then it forms into glossolalia. And now all of a sudden later on it's added by men. It's put in a, dictionary, a Greek dictionary, and now people see that. And now to, they're turning so a— they create an agenda. To, cre yes. to, 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 to conveniently— make the scripture translate the way they want it to translate. To, yes. it, it takes away from the true gift, <laughs> yes. just to be honest, in its purest form. And, and, and we know that anywhere that men are involved, wherever men are involved, regardless of what it is about, that somewhere everyone's going to have an opinion on how they think it should be. And I just know the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I would rather have it right before yeah. God. Yes. And again, I've had people say, well, you, you don't have enough faith, or I pray that you can have this gift. If the Holy Spirit wanted to give me that gift, it would be in the right situation, in the right context. 
people would understand the message of Christ and people could be saved by that. Or if it goes to where you guys are going to get into interpretation, um, the Holy Spirit that gifts us, it's for the benefit of the kingdom, not for the benefit of our religion, right. not for the benefit of our theology. And, and according, anyone can look this history up. If anyone can look this up, it's just funny how it's become yeah. spiritualized. Yeah. Like it's the absolute truth. And my question is, just study it backwards. Run it back through time. The way we began in, in the Bible today, like when we was talking about uh, whether it's uh, the, the, the sons of Noah, and you look through how the tongues were there, the nations and people were divided. You go to the Tower of Babel, you go to Acts chapter number 2. It's going to be the same all throughout Scripture. It's not special for one group of people like yeah. the Corinthians. It's just that it sort of got out of context. Now, I'll say this too, and I mean, I would recommend this to anybody that would ever want more in-depth reading on this as well. Um, John MacArthur has a book referred to as Strange Fire, um, and I have it, and I've actually listened to a seminar as well on the panel that he had, and basically it's just a, I mean, Alan, we've talked about, Alan's been listening to it. Um, basically, it's a seminar where MacArthur wrote a book about strange worship. And he used the two sons of Aaron that offered some strange fire as a sacrifice to the Lord. And when they offered the strange fire, all of a sudden the fire consumed them. And they were burnt up because God did not recognize their fire. He did not recognize their form of worship. And so the whole book goes into this whole scheme of how people are performing worship that is unknown to God. And it's not received of God. And so when I think about what you were talking about, about people adding words and people, which, you know, in Thayer, and I looked again, I mean, you get the word glossa in most places, but I've also seen glossolalia as well. And so it, it brought brings me to a spot of, you know, it's even like I was studying today when you get into First Timothy 4 and it talks about uh, teachings of demons and teachings of this and teaching where people will follow after that stuff it just comes to show you that it's not like people hit 2019 and all of a sudden start falling versions. This has been going on since before 1879, I think, yeah. maybe the day. People have been... Ta it's even like in the book Strange Fire. Uh, MacArthur talks about one of the first interactions for the ap apostolic church about uh, a bunch of missionaries coming together and then praying. It was on, on New Year's Eve, and their goal was to pray until God gave them a new revelation. And so one of them came out and started speaking tongues. So all of a sudden, the professor sends the girl to China. She's over there preaching the gospel. Next thing she knows, no one understands what she's saying. And actually, when she writes her messages down in Chinese, they, had, they couldn't read it. It was chicken scratch. And so it just comes to show you that there are people that are trying to take advantage, one, as false teachers, but two, when you look at the effects of one man who starts teaching something out of context, then someone learns it, and then they teach it, and then they teach it, and it creates a ripple effect of really people who are just ignorant. They don't know what they're saying because so-and-so taught them or it came from so-and-so yeah, the, the danger the danger of this of teaching that it has something to do with salvation just like a jew coming down and saying you have to be circumcised or uh when for example in some churches whether it's tradition or legalism those, those two wooden chairs that sit up there you know and they deify those chairs or people deify only a, preachers a, can sit on them a, only pastors yeah can, it don't make deify sense a gift they here's the thing is that it wrecks people's belief. It, it wrecks the message when it's salvation and this. So, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Faith plus this, mm -hmm. uh, before this, after this. And the problem is that when you look... So in, 
when, when this first happened, there was a guy that went around, and he was in Africa. He went to a lot of places and a lot of fellowships, went to a lot of revivals where that when, when this these unknown tongues and the babbling and all that started taking place. So this guy researched it, and he was going out to all these places where he was hearing where they were practicing it. And, and basically, uh, when he come back, he said, nobody knew what was going on. It was very confusing. It was just like... I mean, it, it was almost cultish is what he said. But he said even when you go to the Browns Revival or you go and you study the history, like the missionaries, he said there were missionaries that thought they had the gift of tongues, went over to that country, and then found out they didn't have the gift. So now they've got to change it, right, or tell the truth. So what they do? They changed it. Yeah. And now they've turned it into something that is, that is not so they could save face and say, hey, we were wrong. So... And God finds all men to be liars. So this yeah. is this is where when we study this out, I don't have an issue with anyone. I love everyone because that's the next part of the chapters when you go through that love's going to be the main part, unity inside the fellowship. Well, and I actually was going there because I've had a conversation with a guy before that believed in utterances of, you know, randomness, words, noises. Um, and when we had this conversation, one of the things we got to was... Uh, tongues of men and tongues of angels and when i asked him i was like well support your claim he said first corinthians 13 it says paul says if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love and he stopped and he's like right here paul says if i speak that means we can and my two points were can we say we can do something if the sentence starts off with the word if because the whole sentence is based off the contingent right. of the word if but the second thing is and we've talked about this, when angels came, how did they speak? The people understood them. Now, I have listened to guys, and I think uh, Brother Chad Udy, when we had him here, we, t we talked about this because he's preached in a lot of places about uh, the view that they that the apostles really didn't just literally speak a, a new language. They spoke their own, but God took it and made the listeners. So there's a couple views where people believe that they literally spoke a new language, or maybe they spoke Hebrew, but then the people of other nations were like, whoa, somebody's speaking our language. So I've heard both views, and I think there's good cases for both, but regardless, whether it's this way or this way, God's the one that gives that. Now, go ahead, were you going to say no, something? No, the early church faced Gnosticism. Yeah. Right. So it's no different than... Nothing's we, we new. We would expect it to yeah. be any different now than it was back then. But what, what got me was like, it just kind of showed me that a lot of people, they don't, they're not studying fully. They're not grabbing hold of things. They're not trying to dig things out. They're not, um, it's like I got to sit down with a good friend of mine this last week and, you know, he doesn't agree with this stuff, but he's never studied it out for himself. And when we sat down and went through Ephesians 1, he was like, man, he's like, you really pay attention to a lot of these words. It's like, you have to, because... That's part of studying your transitional words and it's, stuff. Just like our pastor said, this information is not privileged. It's not something that's kept in a vault. It's 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 historic, right? And it's right. it's available to anyone that's willing to roll your sleeves up, yeah, you know, and, and do a little work and, and research and, and learn for yourself. But the problem with, and I'm speaking for myself here because uh, we've talked about this many times. Uh, I've I've been that. Uh, lackadaisical Christian for way too long that wanted to just wade near the shore and yeah. only get ankle deep. And uh, there's comfort there and there's not much expected of me there. Mm -hmm. And there's that ignorance is bliss. And I've used that word ignorant. This is the second podcast in a row. And the reason I do that is not to be offensive, but it's to explain to our listeners 
from a position of experience that you can stay ignorant as long as you want to, but God has still got a mandate on his children to grow and mature in the faith. And a part of that is to study to show yourself to prove yeah. and learn and to not be to not be victimized by someone who is preaching another gospel. Yeah. Some, some folks can learn this and then misuse it as a beating tool. You tell them you're wrong because you're wrong, you know, and that's not the way that you approach the gospel. Right. When you sit down with someone that you don't agree with or someone that you, you're, you've got a question about a certain matter, and it's, it's with me, is I don't care who it is, where they're from, we're going to have to have one solid truth that we both use, yeah. that we're both going to say we're going to let this be true. So the scripture is the only way. And if we can look it up in its with its references, if we can look it up in its context, we can look it up with Greek definitions or Hebrew, you know what I'm saying, and put all it in context, the question is, will two people leave there agreeing that it's right? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When you go in and you say, you know what, this is how I've been taught, this is how I'm going to hold on to, this is what I've practiced, just because you practice it don't mean that it's right. right. Don't bring in too many variables. Right, right. So, and, and I'm not one of those that when I learned this, and I've been studying this, seems like for years on and off, it's that I move on. Yep. I, I don't stumble at it. It's just you can teach it and you can move on from it. There's so many other things yeah. towards obedience that's more important. Yeah. Like if somebody wanted to, I would have to, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. Um, but like when people want to sit down and have conversations about it, especially if people of other churches that practice such gifts or think that such gifts are for anyone, um, what I've come to find out is usually, one, they really don't have a lot of scripture. Um, it's like one guy, you know, he brought to me all the scriptures his church stands on when it comes to the gift of tongues. And of course, you know, they use Joel chapter two or Joel, yeah, Joel chapter two, chapter three, right in there about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out. But then the rest of the texts were either in the book of Acts or First Corinthians thirteen and fourteen. That was it. And so I just asked the question, which, you know, I think we kind of talked about this last week, that there are people out there that are continuous of the book of Acts. They believe that that is the model of the church, and this is how every church should settle. But I think one thing that I find out of that, though, is a lot of people that continue in the model of the book of Acts, there's more confusion, and there's more division and more separation, because some view it like this, some view this chapter higher than this chapter. Now, I mean... Then you have a sensation as someone who thinks that the miraculous gifts have stopped. Um, now, when it comes to the gift of tongues, me specifically, I, I believe this is something God could definitely use in our day and age. But I came to this conclusion. I go to a church where everyone speaks English. Why would why would I be given a gift of Spanish? Why would I? Because then I start thinking about in chapter 14 where Paul says... Mm-hmm. Um, in verse 4, he says the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So Paul's gone through and he's like, I'd rather speak five words. I'd rather do this. How can you understand a lifeless instrument? And so I'm sitting here like you said. God's not going to, the Holy Spirit's not going to act outside of context of God's given decree, God's word. So, you know, is tongues effective? Can it be used in context? But really we have to look at it. Another guy one time uh, looked at me. And he said, you know, y'all have good worship at your church. And I was like, yeah, amen. I'm a good worship service. He said, but I just hate it for you guys. I was like, why? And he said, well, he's like, you know, you guys uh, uh, don't believe in tongues. You don't believe in this. You don't believe in this. And uh, you're just really going to miss out on the potential God could use your fellowship for. You're going to miss out on the Holy Spirit blessing. And I was like, 
what? Are you serious? And so, in a sense, he was saying that his church and the places he'd go are more spiritual than us because we don't do these gifts. So what tongue would you speak if everybody's English speaking? <laughs> and and what's, what's the Appalachian language? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I speak that. I even understand that, right? Yeah. So there's no, there's no Warsh. point. There's no point in that. Warshy hands. Yeah, and that's... Well, I'm from Marvel. Marvel, there you go. Maryville, Marvel. Power and blood. And it's even like, you know, Paul said, he's like, in verse 5, he's like, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So it's even like you said, there's an emphasis on the spiritual gifts. Now, now here, I'll say, I mean, we for, for this church, we build, I mean, when we look at doctrine, right. we look at the epistles. We don't build our doctrines off the transition and the events of the book of Acts because... Right. The book of Acts was written by Luke, who was, one, not an apostle, who followed around and kept records. And so when you look at the transition from Jesus ascends to the right hand of God, and John is the last apostle to be alive and receives the revelation, we have to understand that like there's a big transitional period going on. God gives miraculous signs and wonders to point to Christ. And that's what even like when you look at the signs and wonders like in the book of John, if you read through the book of John, it's written around all of the miracles Jesus did, most of them. Now, the book of John also says that were there were many more that weren't written down cuz the book couldn't contain it, but we also have to understand what is a sign. A sign points to something. So in order for Christ to perform a sign, it's going to point to one thing, his deity as the Son of God. So now we get into the book of Acts, and Jesus isn't here, but now the signs and wonders are still doing the same thing. They're pointing towards the Son of God. So it's like you said, um, when the Gentiles spoke tongues, it brought the Jews to jealousy. It brought them to a point of this is real, right? I mean, that's a whole, really one of the points why we have salvation as Gentiles is it would provoke the Jews Correct. to jealousy. Correct. And so when the Jews saw these miraculous signs, it initiated within them that, okay, this is real. Then, I can't remember which book of the Bible you'll be able to remember. It says that the mystery's been revealed, and it goes, there's no, it's not about the Jew or the Greek or the bondservant or the free, it's, we're all one in Christ. And so when you look at that context and then you look at the book of Acts, the transitioning had to happen to transition to the New Testament church with the epistles. Now, one comment you could we could talk about, right, is when we read the epistles, a lot of it is towards Christians, but we do have to understand one thing. When the epistles and the letters were read, they were read to a body of people. Jesus said the wheat and the tares will grow together. And that's why when we look at the apostles, or not the apostles, the epistles, we can understand that there are applicable things for Christians. But if someone hears these doctrines or hears these such things and they don't want to obey it, Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The epistles and all the doctrine that the uh, the apostles wrote were given to them by Jesus Christ. So if they're not willing to abide to the doctrine, if they're not a wi- willing to abide to the epistle, then there's something else we need to talk about because it might be that they're not of the faith at all. Exactly. And when we, we talk about the, the book of Acts and the establishment of the church and how that the, the, that process began, and it, in any process, and you can you can read through Scripture and read on into Revelations, as, as it began, there was changes that took place in the church. Not all of them are godly. There were some things that took a left turn and got sidetracked, and, and, and you, it's addressed in the book of Revelations. Hey, uh, uh, he said, I got somewhat against you because you've, you've left your first love. And yeah. There's, there's things that happen. Anytime you get people's hands, and Pastor talked about it earlier, anytime you get people involved in a process and they start 
you know, getting their hands in it. And even if the 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 best people with the best intentions, mm-hmm. we still are, are 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 cloaked in flesh, and that variable of being wrong or being in error is there because we're fleshly. But God's word's true, and we talked about the, the, this word's forever settled in heaven, and uh, the, the it's it's complete in 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 the canon of Scripture. And there's no new revelation coming. And what we've got is what we need to base our life on. It's what we need to operate our church on. Right. And so if you know, the thing, too, with the tongues is that when they, like, well, you guys are kind of going along with what you were mentioning about remembering their first love and stuff and how they have drifted away. The thing was is that very quickly, because we are still of the flesh, pride can step in. And we can start to even boast upon ourselves. You know, in, we, we're not going to be wrong. And not only that, we are now a superior Christian, if you will, because we do this. Yeah. But just like Paul said, you know, that when he's addressing them, he says, but don't forget that it's all in love. Yeah. You know, so when they are correcting, if you will, and doing it, if they're doing it for any other reason than for love, they are the ones that are now have entered into error in their prideful state. Well, most facilities and churches, if you go against what they <clears throat> teach with tongues and other such gifts, they kick you out. Yeah. Well, I mean, so at, at one time I, w- I was in a, a fellowship congregation and I was invited there by a co-worker. And this was before my salvation. And I was sitting in the audience and he invited me and I went with him. And a person stood up and spoke in tongues. And I asked him, I was like, what's happening? And he's like, they're speaking in tongues. And then another gentleman stood up and said, asked for the interpreter. And it was numerous times he asked for interpretation. And then one person stood up and basically gave an explanation to it. And then when we left, I was like, that was awkward. And he's like, well... It was awkward because the person that spoke in tongues should not have spoken in tongues. And I'm like, so what happened then, you know? And he's like, well, they probably are lacking in their faith. <laughs> but, but the question should have been, which unbeliever in here un- understood that? Yeah, none. That should have been None, the because I was an unbeliever at the <laughs> time. Because I was not saved, and I was an unbeliever, you and know, I was confused. Okay, do, you know, do you know what he's saying? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> if therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say they are mad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have, yeah, a, we have a witness in the room right I'm, now yes. that says yes. Yeah, and I, I was confused thoroughly. Yeah. And, and like I said, then when he tried to explain it, but then but that's a lot with that type movement too. The charismatic movement, it's not it's not that their doctrine or their theology is an error. It's the person that cannot do that is an error. Because they have a lack of faith. Yeah. Because if they had more faith, they could surely, you know, whatever well, the example be, whether it be prophesying or speaking in tongues or the healing or whatever. So they, when all don't receive the gift, then is that going to exclude people? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. No. I, so you yes. can't apply it there. Right. You can't use it for but that. Yeah. My, but my thought process is, too, and I mean, when, so when Peter and Paul, when all, you know, remember when they're walking through town and there's a woman with, the spirit of divination, yeah. right? Yeah. She wasn't a believer, right? So she, she probably had no idea what was going on. She was being used so they could make money. And then all of a sudden, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Peter who was kind of, the scripture said he was annoyed. Yeah, not that he was aggravated by her. Like he's, the, and he said in the name of Jesus, he's like, I command out of her. Yep. But what I'm saying, why I bring that up is this, is when we look at scripture, usually when they healed people, 
it wasn't because of their measure of faith. It was people who didn't have faith. Yep. They didn't look at them and say, well, you're not getting healed because you don't believe. So that shows me that Peter and Paul, like, they didn't have issues. So when a guy stands up and he's trying to say, you're going to be healed, and then they're not healed, and they say, well, it's your fault, then that contradicts the whole part of the gift of God because now they're saying that the gift of God can't work because someone won't believe, but yet Peter, Paul, and all these, they healed people that were unbelievers. They did things for people who were unbelievers. And so in that that example, when that guy said, well, they didn't have enough faith, well, I guess that means God just didn't want to work that day or you know, his power was at half meter. When has his power ever been dependable on us? Never, never, never. Yeah. Uh, the preachers of Delphi would be a good study for people to look into, the backdrop of the Corinthian church. And, and also, if this was an issue or this was a truth that everyone should be practicing, why is only one church mentioned with this issue or with the correction that needed to be? So you need to ask yourself those questions. Why? Research your history. Look back at these words that we mentioned here today. Uh, look up the Greek and Hebrew meanings of this stuff, and, and you'll get a yeah. clear definition. Yeah, and I think that that's a that was a clear explanation of what tongues is, and I I really don't think it can get any more clear than that. Not that we have any special ability or special knowledge or special revelations in this. We just we read the scripture, and I mean that's what the Bible says. So next week we'll get more into the interpreter part of the gift of an interpreter and why that's important and how it can be used. Um, but also we'll probably keep moving down the list next week too. So, uh, Pastor Jason, we appreciate you coming and joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely, yeah, that was awesome. It's always fun when the preachers here. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody have anything else? God bless. God bless. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Mm-hmm.